0: Hello and a very warm welcome back to episode two of the Durang Sessions, the podcast that speaks to some of the biggest names in the email marketing industry. First episode we had with Nick Crawford and Hannah Vaughan is up and ready for you to watch or listen to. So after you're done with today's session, if you haven't already had a look at that one, do go ahead, would encourage that. But Focusing on today, we're talking about data and we've got two more brilliant guests. So first of all, joining me from the Gerang side, none other than the managing director and founder of Durang, Stafford Sumner. So Stafford, thank you for joining. Thanks for having us on, Ben. And as always, massively appreciating the, you know, the, the, the brand right behind, you know, you've got the placement perfect.
1: I mean, I could have obviously gone for the uh, background on Zoom, but I decided to go full hog and paint the wall instead.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. And we have also got Anne Humphrey. So he is an email marketing specialist, sits on the email council for the DMA. So, Ann, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much. And I'm joined with my lockdown locks. So uh,
1: I hope they're not taking up too much of to the screen. Aren't we all? Aren't we all?
0: I I think we're just about all right, just about okay. As I said in the intro, today's topic is data. How do you obtain it? How do you use it? How do you audit it? Everything to do with data. It might not be the sexiest part of email marketing, if indeed there is such a thing, but it's definitely worth a a, a podcast in its own right due to its importance. Um, But before we get going on data, there's one thing that we ask, or we are going to ask, I guess, of all of our guests. Um, the first question of why email is important to you specifically so and I'm I'm interested to know sort of what drove you to email and why why do you think it's valuable
2: uh, up until a few about six years ago I I, I, I was sort of fairly agnostic as, uh, on a digital channel um, um, and then I happened to go and work for um, uh, an email service provider and um, suddenly sort of woke to the the power that the medium of email actually has and that if used properly it can drive significant uh, return on investment for for organizations um and that you know email fr- from a a geeky techie point of view email goes beyond just putting some words and pictures together with a bit of data and shoving it out, out 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 the door um there's a whole host of other bits and pieces behind the scenes, so that's an alchemy that goes on to try and make sure that that email hits the inbox as intended, um, and then all the the analytics behind it. You know, being able to know what device somebody's opening their email on, whereabouts in the world they might be when they're opening, and then using that sort of insight and knowledge to really uh, drive that experience for the recipient. Um, because ultimately, we you know, brands send emails to get people to do things to compel them to to interact with that brand and so using that insight to drive better more relevant more timely communications um i just find that weirdly exciting
0: oh yeah i don't i don't find that weird at all i think that's perfectly acceptable um you ask my
2: friends down the pub they think it's weird
0: it's uh i mean on an email marketing podcast you're perhaps in the most safe hands when it comes to people who might not find that weird so you've chosen the best place to share that but moving on to data um one of the first things i want to ask because a lot of people listening might think of data and immediately think of an email address full stop nothing else when we know that that data is a lot wider reaching than that so why is why is data so much more than just picking up that email address
2: it, it, data is, is is two things really. It's um, it, it's it is that email address. It's the attributes to that email address that help you help a brand uh, organize, segment, and understand their audience. Um, one of the there, there sort of two key reasons people unsubscribe from email and that's lack of relevance or or, or frequency. Um, so, so you've got that, 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 the, the email address and all the attributes to that email address that help you segment and target your audience. And then you've got the, the, what I call the engagement data. That's the, the data you get for, back from your email service provider that tells you how that individual or that segment have interacted with your email so that you can then learn from that and take your next email to the next level.
0: What are your thoughts on that Stafford because you know the email address is is the thing you need to send to people but but as Ant sort of alludes to it it does go much further than that.
1: Yeah I mean absolutely I mean in in the email marketing world we obviously use the email address as the unique identifier as Ant says but um, it's it's not just the profile fields that come with it either that's things like the postcode that we could use for geo-targeting for example um, but it's also the past behavior. So, for example, the last time somebody purchased, or the last um, the amount they've spent in total, or indeed, um, you know, what what they may have browsed. Um, taking all of these um, pieces of information, be them profile fields or or behavioral data, that combines with that um, uh, that that chemistry set that i uh, talked about in, in his in his. Uh, intro there that, um, you know, you bring all of this together with the creative um, and serve up personalised relevant information or personalised relevant communications that uh, will then move forward to the goal that you have, be that um, particular sales, uh, uh, driving the sales of particular products or or, or, um, or whatever the objective of that particular campaign is.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, knowledge is power. I, I guess is a phrase that's used quite a lot, um, but it, you know, it extends so much more than than, than just knowing that you can reach someone. It, it's then how you reach them as well. You know, you you do have all of those at your disposal. I mean, the, the engagement that, that that's a very underutilized tool, I would say. Uh, and even going back to to the most simple of profile fields that that can enable personalization and segmentation is still i think underutilized you're, you're absolutely right in what you say when when people unsubscribe it is often due to a lack of relevancy so um you know this is something we picked up on in the first podcast as well and i'm sure this isn't the last time we will pick up on it and uh, not because we haven't got a lot to say but it's because it is such an important thing within the world of email marketing um looking at a database itself because there will be a a mixture of people listening i'm sure who um have a full database maybe in the thousands of of people there will be some that are just starting up and don't have a lot are there any tips that you would have regardless of your database size in terms of how to utilize the data i think
2: think key with with um with data is and, and um I hope I'm not going to scare people by using these four initials. Um, is to look to the principles of GDPR, look at the data privacy principles, and align your data to that: um, minimization, uh, accuracy. Two key principles that that I live by is that yeah, when you when you start, let's say you're starting out, you don't yet you know you're you're a, uh, a new business, you want to start uh, sending emails. As Stafford said, the, the, the basic um, bit of data you need is an email address. And if that's all you're going to do is send an email, that's all you need to collect. Um, yes, you can, and I've seen sign-up forms that have 10 fields, more fields, you know, first name, last name, title, date of birth, postcode, um, opt in to send postal marks. All I wanted to do was sign up for an email. So keep your sign-up process simple. Because you can always go back and ask the person for more, um, for more information later on. Um, remember in the old days of books, um, there was the Encyclopedia Britannica. They've got a, web, a, a digital offering. When you sign up for that, all they literally ask you for is an email address. The first email they send you has a button that says, tell me more. And it takes you through to a form where they start to ask you more information about you. So they can serve you content that matters to you. Um, we used to call that progressive profiling. It's probably got a new, funkier name to it than that. But it's, it, it does what it says on the tin. You start off by collecting the minimum amount of data, and then you build up what you need as you need it for the, for the process that you're going to put that customer through. Um, if you step outside of that, if, you, you know, if, if all you're doing is getting somebody to sign up for an email, and you ask them for their entire life history, you're actually stepping outside of the data protection principles of relevancy, data minimization. So if you collect more data than you actually need, you're doing two things. One, you're going to put people off um, signing up in the first place. They're going to say, why do they want to know all that information when all I want from them is an email? Mm -hmm. Where in, in, in the same way that any relationship starts, you know, you meet somebody at a business meeting, if, if you remember those, um, you shake your hand, you say, you say your name, and say where you work. You don't ask that person for their entire life history uh, right at the start of that relationship. And the same should work when, when you're starting to build a, a database. Also, if you're asking for more data than you actually need to serve the process, you're, you're stepping outside of the, the realms of um, the data protection principles because data should be relevant and limited to the process necessary. And as I say, as your need to... Uh, to, to provide that relevancy um, to your customer increases, then they will start to give you more data anyway um, because they'll see the value exchange. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen some sign up forms that are um, lengthy, I think is probably the nice way to put it. And, I, and I'm sure, Stafford, you've seen the same thing. But um, I, I always see it as when you are collecting data. I I think people get in the mindset of um, people don't want to give any any information away, whereas I think it is much more orientated towards people what don't want to give information away that has no value to them. Whereas, and at the start of that relationship. There, there is very little indication that there will be value to giving away this bit of information or that bit of information. Whereas once you've started emailing them and you are further in that relationship, there might be a more of an inclination for them to think, hang on a minute, maybe there's actually value in me giving this to them. That could make the email marketing better. Maybe there's already something they've given over that, that implies it um I mean, Sever, what's what's your thoughts on this? Um, I we've seen some sign-up forms that can be very, very lengthy and not to their benefit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've been in the industry for coming up for twenty years now, and um, you know, marketers and I put myself in that category as well. We, we're like magpies; we like collecting data because we think the more data we have, the more knowledge we have, and the more knowledge we've got, the better we'll be at our job. Um, so there is always this tendency to ask for as much as we possibly can because that would be useful to have the you know the postcode or that would be useful to have date of birth or whatever happens to be. But, of course, we all know from a practical sense on the ground there is a direct correlation between the amount of fields you ask for and the number of, of people that actually go through with the submission of the form. So the, the more fields, fewer people we get. There's a point of equilibrium. Um, that yeah, you, you, you you need to find you know, what's optimum for your, your knowledge and what's optimum for the comfort zone of the punter that's signing up. But I think also people know the value of their data nowadays. That's the point. People know that their data is, A, it's valuable, that there is a value exchange, like you said, Ben, but people know that the more they give you, the more they're giving away. So there's got to be something better coming back um i think that also they know there's a risk element as well giving you too much information if they don't know you might result in something negative happening to them in the, the future whereas you know it's slightly different perhaps if you're um, in a customer relationship if, if i'm coming to your store ben and i'm buying something on on your e- e-commerce store i'm giving you my my details. You're, I'm telling you what I'm buying. Give my credit card details. There's an there's a actual exchange there of of a service or a, or a product that I'm that I'm buying from you. You're naturally capturing data in the course of that transaction, um, and depending on how you're set up, you may or may not utilise that that data within the regulations to be able to communicate with me in the future. Um, but I think that's the, kind of my my general kind of summary on it that uh, people people know what their data's worth and they 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 want to know what they're going to get back for it
2: can i, can I come in on there because i i think
1: what we should should add the
2: bit that i think is missing is it, you know it, there's also a contextual element to it you know if, if you're an, an online fashion brand the chances are the person signing up to email purely to get that initial discount code and that's all they're interested in um whereas perhaps if you're signing up to some sort of charity um you might be prepared to give them more information. But what is key from the marketer's point of view is making it clear and transparent why you're asking for certain information. Um, So for example, if you are, if somebody's signing up for postcode, uh, sorry, postcode, for email, and you're asking them to give you a postcode, explain to them why you want the postcode. Would you like to receive regional information based on your local area? Yes. For that, we need your postcode. Brackets, don't worry, we're not going to send you stuff through the post. Um, but if you're collecting that postcode, you've then got to make sure those emails are targeted to that person's lo- um, location. Likewise, if, for example, you're a brand um, that's, you know, sign up with us and we'll send you a free T-shirt, um, and for that promotion, you ask the person what the size of T-shirt is. Once you've fulfilled the... That promotion and sent them the T-shirt and if there's a warranty, you know, on the T-shirt, uh, once that's expired, then back to the sort of data minimization, data storage principles, you need to jettison that data. There's no, you no longer need to have that person's T-shirt size um, if you're no longer going to be supplying, sending them a free T-shirt. So it's it, it boils down to that brand being open, honest, and transparent about what they're collecting, why they're collecting it what they're using it for and then making sure that they they don't use it beyond the, the sort of time limit of that particular process. Mm. I think then people are, you know, as you rightly say, uh, Stafford, but people are aware of the value of their data and what it means to a brand. Um, I think they're there you know, If, if, if you've got that clear value exchange and you've got some sense of um, trust in the brand, you'll give that data over. You know, people are happy to put their life story on Facebook. For some reason, they believe that data is safe and it's is not going anywhere, not implying that there's anything untoward about Facebook at all, but <laughs> they're prepared to give it because the value exchange they get by giving that data is they get that experience of telling everyone how wonderful their life is. Um, and the feedback and the and, and the recognition that, uh, that 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 they want from that or the insight and the news they get from it. So they're prepared to give that. Um the same with using Gmail, they're prepared to use a free mailbox provider such as Gmail, knowing full well if they read any news that you know, even you know, Amazon sending you a, uh, a, 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 a an order acknowledgement um um the likes of, of, of Google can read those emails and know that you know you've just ordered um, Jared's, um, um, <laughs> sorry, Durang's, um, you yeah, know, the history of Durang um, or Stafford's um, memoirs um, on Amazon and serve so you target, uh, so you, serve so you um, advertising on that basis. So now Amazon don't actually put in their emails what it is you've ordered; it just thank you for your order. And here's a link back to the website if you want to view what you've ordered so we do need to make sure as marketers that we are clear as to what the value exchange is what we're going to do with that data how long we're going to keep it um and if it's contextual i'm sure the the, the customer the data subject uh, will part that part with that information
0: well i mean apart from the devastating news in that that our sponsorship agreement with facebook is probably in the bin um i mean
1: what about
0: my good. memoirs, though? That was a that was a good uh, pitch for that. Thanks, Ant. Yeah, yeah was, I'm, I'm,
2: looked, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the pre-order list.
0: <laughs> you and um, maybe someone else. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, of course. Um, but I mean, going back to that, and I'm sure elements of this question are going to have already been touched upon by you, Ant, but. If people are thinking about application now so they know know the theory of this they they know that they they should be getting this data once the relationship has been cultivated perhaps how do you in application go back to a thousand people or however many people it is and, and get this data knowing that the people that are existing on your database as well aren't all going to have been on there at the same time um you know some people might have been there for, for years some of them might have only been there for weeks how, how do you go about applying some of what we've been speaking about here
2: so you're talking about sort of um yeah enhancing that data um getting greater insight into the into the individual um well you yeah, know that that's I, I i you know in my view is down to the content of the emails you're sending out and other sort of online um uh, insights you can you can gather um, you know, knowing what somebody's clicked on for example uh, questionnaires surveys getting them back to your website uh, looking at the pages that they're clicking through and trying to understand what it is that is relevant to to that person and you' you've, you know you've got two ways in my view um, I'm a big believer in data efficacy um in, in in that i want the brand to ask me what i want rather than trying to guess it because i fit into a particular social category for example uh so you know if you want to know uh what content i want in my emails ask me provide me with a preference center for example um uh, or in an email say what what's your favorite color red or blue i click red you now know um because it's an explicit preference that I've clicked on that I like red, in which case you can ask your data team to to pull this everyone to click the red link um, and send them lots of information about red, and therefore exclude them from anything about blue because you know that blue doesn't engage them down the colour route. I've made them state before of, of say what's your favourite bird or what's your favourite so, and and I've ended up ruining sponsorship deals. So you know um, I'm, I'm I, I've I've stopped doing that. So. Do you like red? Do you like blue? When they go down the, the red route, you can then send them an email saying, what shade of red do you like? Do you like the pinker side? Do you like oranges? Do you like red? Uh, they click on that, and then you take them further down that funnel and, and, and use email like a sorting hat, I suppose, uh, to the point that you've now got a persona of somebody who likes red, but specifically likes bright red, uh, and specifically specific, like solid red, you know, um, and that way, you start to augment your data with um, with new attributes uh, that you can then use for your segmentation, your targeting. And what is really key is to understand, is to realize, and I, I don't think a lot of marketers do this, is to realize that people do change their minds. Once upon a time, people that like Coca Cola loved Coca Cola until they brought out Diet Coke, and then. You split the camp. Some people like Diet Coke, some people like Coca-Cola still. If all you're sending is promotions about Coca-Cola, you're going to alienate the people that now prefer Diet Coke. Uh, other cola brands do exist. Uh, so you've got to provide an opportunity for people to change that preference. Uh, and again, you, you know, you do that by inviting them to come back to, the, to your website, to log into their accounts change their 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 options put a preference center link at the bottom of of the email next to the unsubscribe link maybe or as i used to do for when i was working um for the esp was working with a uh, well-known banking uh, group and we actually put preference center link in the body of the email because we didn't want people searching down to the unsubscribe link where preference center links often are um, because by the time they get down there, they might just click on the unsubscribe. So we actually put um, in the main body of the email a button, mm-hmm. update your preferences, change your subscription. Um, and that worked really well. We saw the unsubscribes go down quite substanti- substantially, but we also equally we saw engagement go up because people were able to change um, their the topics of, of, of interest um, as, as they desired, which was, um, you yeah, know, I, I think we should take more advantage of things like that.
0: What are your thoughts Stafford on, um, well, let's pick out the sort of interactivity within email leading to profile attributes. What's your thoughts on that being a tactic?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's great. As, as Anne says, you know, it's, it's about, um, serving up relevant information. I I, I totally agree with with what you're saying that about, you know, people need to have the ability to change their minds. I mean, we, but also changing within their life, um, uh journey as well so for example we were working with a uh with a retailer that sold children's clothes so they were targeting people who had bought children's clothes oh. in the past um on the basis that they were buying for a child either they're a parent or a grandparent themselves but at some point those children grow and they become adults and they do the, the person who perhaps bought the 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 little jackets for a five-year-old um uh you know no longer wants to buy jackets for five-year-olds because their five-year-old is now a 15-year-old and um or that child's left home or, or or whatever so i think that there has to be some um some common sense applied to targeting that you can go down a route for a certain amount of time it does depend on on the product or service that you're offering um i think in terms of behavioral side of things i i really do like you know for me when i've received an email. Um, that I sometimes get follow-up messages based on what I've clicked on within the Mm -hmm. email itself. So, for example, back when we could travel, if if you guys remember back that far, back in the day, those aeroplanes that used to go across the skies, um, you know, just getting an email in from Virgin Travel and, you know, having a look at some of the the, the holidays that were on there, clicking on one, um, you know, just say, for example, there's a holiday to the Caribbean, clicking, having a look around not necessarily booking, but being followed up a four hours later or so with a follow-up email very specifically upon, you know, a particular trip to the Caribbean um, that was just the link that I clicked on out of maybe six or seven holidays that were featured. That was a really useful touch to me because actually the email had come in. During the day, it was a busy day. I didn't really have a lot of chance to um, kind of read it. It came through in the evening when I was a bit more more relaxed and didn't have the same demands on my time as perhaps doing the the office. Um, and it just reminded me, do you know what? We need to talk about this. Uh, this could be something we could do. I didn't necessarily book that holiday, but it just reinstated that thought process that um, this is something that that was of interest to me. So things like that, I think, are a really powerful way of targeting and don't annoy Um, me as a recipient too much, but it's like remarketing ads, you know, or retargeting ads that you click on the link, you go through to a landing page and then you get followed around for the next two years with a remarketing ad. They start to annoy me after a while if they go on for too long. So for example, same issue, I was going over to Europe, I clicked on a link um, to book a flight, um, book my flight, and then I was followed around for, um, for a month afterwards, asking whether I want to book my flight to this particular location. It it's like, no, because I've already put my flight, I booked it through you as well. Why are you targeting me? This is completely irrelevant. Um and and actually kind of just started to yeah put put me off those kind of things. So I think, you know, whether it's email or retargeting ads, just as long as they're used with common sense, I don't you can apply a carte blanche framework to all of your campaigns. They they need to have thought in 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 them as to, to who is receiving them, what you want them to do.
2: I think I, I agree, and I, I think know yeah, retargeting is, is annoying because it's indiscriminate. You know, it doesn't know that you've already made that purchase or that you've changed your mind, and it does get frustrating. And and I actually find that it, it reflects badly on the web on the the, the the owner of the website where that advert is placed. Um, mm. You know, because you might go to a website for some a specific reason, totally unrelated to your travels, your exotic travels to the Caribbean, stuff um you know, you're doing a bit of serious research and all you're being seen is adverts for, for travel um but also i think you know markets have got to be careful that they don't get it wrong um and that you know they actually make sure the logic behind what they're doing um in, in, in monitoring those preferences or those those implied preferences is accurate and uh, for example I, i'm client well hoping to go on a camping trekking holiday uh, in june not as quite you know i'm, I'm only a lowly mar- email marketer not a not, not only an agency so yeah, it's, it's vacation for me um i think it's i think it's vacation
1: for, for all of us at the moment man
2: That's a... <laughs> sorry I, I was still stuck on the ideals of going to the Caribbean. um and i i was looking at um some some new um, apparel uh, the word seems to be uh, becoming more popular in the English language now, Um, rather than clothing. Apparel seems to be on everyone's website. Um, And uh, I went to to a well-known outdoor clothing apparel uh, site, and I was searching for men's trekking shorts. And uh, I placed some things in my basket. Um, They took my email address. And I was interested to see whether I got a retargeting email, and surely enough, I did, offering me fifteen percent off women's clothing. Now,
0: you're all over (laughs) that, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. um, Did you suddenly change up your basket? The 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 basket had men's trekking shorts in it. That's all it had in it. The clue is in the basket. But somewhere along the line, the logic behind the process had gone wrong and they were retargeting me with a 15% off women's clothing. Um, and it wasn't even a Friday. Um, so unfortunately, I haven't gone back to them <laughs> and uh, I've gone to a different different brand altogether. Um, you know, and and, and it, it can be that simple off-putting because it, even for somebody who doesn't work in the industry, you know, I'm always looking for, for people... To, yeah, to try, try, well, to catch people out, but see where their logic fails. Um, even as a, a normal customer, that would put me off. Thinking they got my data totally wrong. Why? Why have you know? I know how they sent me this email. I know it's because I've put something in my basket, and they're trying to get me to buy it. Why are they trying to get me to buy what is in my basket rather than offering me something else? Fifteen percent off the men's shorts. I'd have
1: bought them but funny thing i'll just I'll just chip in before we go back to ben, but one of the other things i i I know it's just on those automations, just as an example, just picking up what you were saying there, and just slightly different, but is when we had lockdown kicked in last year in twenty twenty with the lockdown one. Um, it was the amount of automation programs that were left running by accident. So, for example, hotels with pre- and post-stay <laughs> emails were still being sent out, um, yeah. even though the hotels were closed, the marketing teams had been furloughed. Um, people were getting like, we're really looking forward to seeing you in two days' time for your your stay. And people are going, we're all locked down, we can't leave. Um, and I think there's often that um, kind of uh, set-it-and-leave mentality with automation, whether it's re targeting emails or whether it's marketing automation and, and, and often they're not not reviewed very often or can get forgotten we, we often only think about those scheduled outbound emails and sometimes that kind of framework that we set up is great idea where we're all set around our kind of you know in our meeting room in our, in our planning table um, but uh, unless we continue reviewing them and analyzing what's working what isn't working or indeed remembering that they actually exist um, then it can then end up giving it um you know having the the opposite effect and actually causing brand and reputation damage moving forward
2: i think it's so easy for somebody to take an example of that stick it across social media across twitter um and really lampoon the brand for for that sort of uh, silliness Mm. which doesn't do them any good unless of course you've got a really good social marketing team who can capitalize on it and, and use it as an apology opportunity
0: yeah, I mean that that example that you gave, Stafford, is really a a kick and whilst they're down as well, isn't it? Really, they've already had to go through the disappointment of of not going on that that holiday or, or whatever it might be, uh, and that might be understood. But then the email comes in and it's, it's kind of just like yeah, salt in the wounds situation. Yeah, there. yeah,
1: really tough.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, moving on, um, to sort of auditing your data, I think this is something we've, we've already really picked up on how very few profile fields, a very small amount of data is static. It's constantly evolving. Um, you know, you think even, even profile fields, such as like your first name, even those aren't going to be static for some people. So if you can't rely on that to be the same all the way throughout someone's life, you can't really rely on most profile fields to remain the same. So I think in that sense, Data auditing is valuable, but um yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Anton. Why you think constant sort of reviews of your data and how you can best use that is important.
2: Well, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. We we, we probably have touched on it a couple of times, and it boils back to this sort of relevancy and accuracy of of data and use. Yeah, so that's the primary driver for audit your data. Also, you, you have to bear in mind, from a deliverability and send reputation point of view, um, that you know if you're se- you know if you're sending emails to to a non-engaged audience, for example, um, you know the likes of Google, uh, Microsoft, and Yahoo will pick up on that. Um, they will pick up on people on, on the, the number of emails you send out versus the opens and clicks that come back, and they will derive from that. Um, the number of people who aren't touching your emails, uh, the number of bounces, uh, people that are sticking your emails straight into a delete bin, um, and they'll judge your uh, data hygiene on those metrics um, and can give you a, um, can give you deliverability issues. Uh, so when you think your emails are going out the door, they may well be. And they're probably not landing in the inbox uh, in in the timely fashion that you expect them to, to land. So, if 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 you need no other reason than to get into a data auditing regime, it's that it's your deliverability, your sender reputation, uh, to ensure that you keep uh, Gmail and Yahoo and the and, and guys really happy. Um, if you're using um, you know a good CRM system most fields that you have in your database will have a timestamp time date stamp as to when you acquired that bit of data um, and i think it's key to keep an eye on 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 you know records that do change um, and you know if if somebody hasn't changed their their data or they updated their data with you on a you know in say a year's time it okay, depends on your relationship with that uh, with that individual um, it's worth sending out a some sort of email and so say you know have you updated your, your data recently uh, you can also run queries to see who hasn't engaged for a while email addresses that have bounced remove all that from your data um and try re- retargeting um eff- efforts um uh, you know don't just you know I think it's this day and age it's 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 wrong to just send to a list because you've got an email address and an opt-in you've got to be far more uh clever than that mm. um, and also i think you know by auditing your data you you've got a good opportunity to sweat any gaps in your segmentation um it is you know at the end of the day it is a numbers game um, I, uh you know so marketers will we say, well, let's just send everything to yeah, yeah, send our emails to everybody. Somebody will click, somebody will convert, and that, that's that's true. Um, but actually, the, the more targeted you are, the more relevant you are, the more engagement you'll get for that campaign, and then you can understand who that audience is, and then take steps to recruit more of the same, and then mm. boost your boost your sales, boost your ROI.
0: Absolutely. Um, Stafford, what's your thoughts on the sort of deliverability side of things and how keeping an engaged audience can positively help deliverability?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of witchcraft is is deliverability. And there are some people out there who are, you know, paid very large sums of money to keep on on top of that. um, And that's the very, very um, specific niche within email marketing that, um, you know, there's some very capable and uh, far more Intelligent people than myself uh, are uh, kind of a- able to um, uh, to talk about, but I think you know it's some some of the things that we find within the agency that re- relate to inbox placement, um, uh, and it just goes back to these common principles we've talked about. I don't want to go over too much, but it's about frequency. You know, how frequently are you sending to that that database? If you're sending regularly throughout the month. Um, it's going to be far better than if you just send an email once per year. You know, so we, we want to see traffic going through those IP addresses. We want that data to be utilized. And of course, with that data being regularly sent to, it means we're continually maintaining it in terms of we're removing the hard bounces. We are understanding the people that no longer wish to hear from us better. So we don't get big spikes in unsubscribes. It's at a much lower level um, in, in terms of, engagement rates as well you know um with the ai learning that's being adopted within many of the um the isps um, from gmail to hotmail to uh, outlook whatever happens to be it's learning is what what are you opening what are you not opening so if you get five emails in from the same brand and you don't do anything with it you just delete it before you even open it it's already learning it's saying hmm he's not necessarily that interested in this i'm just going to push that straight into the junk folder because i'm going to help him out and i always use this adage when i'm talking to people about it as it is a bit like the postman walking up your driveway and deciding what mail he's going to put through your front door and what he's going to put straight in the bin without even coming to, to to see you it's him walking up having a look um and, if only he um, would do that. Well, yeah, yes. One one, uh, one one would hope he had more time. But it, it's, it's, but but that, that is what um, uh, the, the the effect is. And um, uh, um, so, I think by your by, but if you have more engaging content and more reverent content, which means that when the recipients do receive it, they then open it. They click on it they do something with it the ai is learning oh actually he does want to receive that he does want to do something with it i will make sure that gets placed within the inbox so yes i think there's an argument for frequency there's an argument for kind of regular maintenance of, of that database um uh you know to as bounce and unsubscribes as we talked about um and, and possibly even reactivation as well where you're starting to see that you know, you've got, say, half of your database hasn't opened a single email within the last 12 months, you know, do you want to continue sending to them on the basis that they're probably not going in, into the inbox? Um, or do you want to pull those out of your regular communications and potentially try to reactivate them, um, utilising some um, methodology, potentially like some kind of incentive within the su- subject line to get them to, to, to open it, or indeed, su- suppress them from future sends and focus your efforts on a on fewer contacts who are more likely to to, to convert
2: you, you said something there about sort of reactivation and that reminded me of, of something that's quite key here is that you know email addresses do die so if you've got some email addresses in your in your database uh that are a couple of years old and maybe that person has, has abandoned that uh that account that gmail account you set up uh, back in the day so that, that you know um, that you've long since forgotten about that could be reactivated and used by one of the uh, spam uh, traps like spam spamhouse spam house um, and all, uh, organizations like them. gmail will look to see if a brand suddenly starts sending to that inbox again um, and that could end up uh, putting the, the your domain on a blacklist um, and stopping any of your emails going through um, and i've, I've had uh, experience of brands doing that, you know, they, they, they just found a, a, an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Uh, they thought, oh, let's give this a go. And uh, suddenly found themselves being blacklisted. What that means is that um, if you get put onto a spam house, or spam cop, uh, blacklist, there are others, um, the spam filters out there, uh, look at those databases and say, this domain or this IP uh, is on a blacklist, we will then protect them so if you've got um if you're organized if, if you're trying to send somebody who's protected by say mimecast or barracuda or one of those spam filters they will look at that um that uh, blacklist and will help protect your inbox your, your your customer's inbox by not allowing that email to come through um more so in the b2b world uh where, where organizations are protected by these systems um I know a client, an organisation, an organisation once who had a big NHS list, um, and they were always going into, always querying why their emails were not uh, getting any open or engagement, and it was because um, you know they had been, their reputation had been tarnished by uh, constantly sending to this NHS list. The NHS mailbox was protected by a spam filter that said, "Oh, we can see that you're on this." list we're not even going to put you into a quarantine we're not even going to mark you a spam we're just going to send your emails into a black hole now for the esp that was servicing that client that was great they were getting pennies for sending the, the emails out but the business was getting no return on their investment uh, because the emails were just going into a black hole uh, so it's really key yeah keep that data hygiene up uh, send to less people more targeted you'll get a greater roi
0: absolutely that's really useful information um for people listening and watching along um before we wrap it up um for this episode uh we did ask you and to pick out an email prior to this uh prior to this recording that we were gonna we were gonna go through the the ups and downs of it perhaps so you picked that one from the bbc so is, is there is there anything on this email um and if you're watching along you'll be able to see it on the screen if you're listening along we'll we'll include it in the description for you to have a look at what Ant is uh Ant is talking about here but um what are your initial thoughts of this email
2: the reason it stuck out to me was stuff first off was the quality of the build um it's uh it's 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 uh informative there's lots of different things uh lots of different uh, programs to it trying to capture it's based on it's quite clearly based on my viewing habits through the iPlayer um, app Um, and so all the content in there was definitely aimed at my viewing habits and I thought it was a really good for the the purpose of this um, this podcast really good indication that an organization is using the data it's collected on me through um, what I've watched on their iPlayer um, what I've clicked in their, their news app and they've brought all that into one email uh, to encourage me to watch programs, to uh, promote upcoming programs um, that I might uh, that I might like to watch. And, and interestingly, uh, I was involved with the DMA awards last year, um, and the shortlist um, for the best use of email was predominantly uh, brands that had used data-driven content, um, and indeed the, the winner um was based on brilliant use of of data to drive that personal content um and you know i felt that that email from the bbc was aimed at me i know at the same time they sent that email out they probably sent it to tens of thousands hundreds of thousands maybe of of their uh of of users of the bbc but that email was actually aimed at me it's personal um and it got got time of my day to, to, to look at it but also to make it worth me sharing with you and it's it's now being seen by by lots of others if they haven't received their own version.
0: Yeah I, I'm not sure what you thought of it Stafford but I mean from, from my perspective I, I found it interesting and this isn't to put down the email whatsoever but design wise there's nothing, nothing crazy or spectacular about it. I, I find it really interesting that you've picked out an email that is really focused on relevancy and doesn't require fireworks and this amazing design that's clearly taken hours on hours and you've picked out something like this have you got any thoughts on it Stafford
1: well that's right I mean I think it's it's whatever works I think you know with anything yeah you know, branding or messaging it's it's personal to the to the subject isn't it and uh, you know ants obviously received this it's it's spoken to him you know I'm sure like me And like many people watching today, um, you know, we get hundreds of emails in our inbox each week. And, uh, um, you know, we we have our favourites. We have the ones that we connect with straight away. Maybe there's ones we connect with on certain days. Um, So, I mean, this this one is what what I like about it. It's in design uh, terms, as as you say, Ben, it's, it's fairly basic. But it's relevant. It's visual. I, I I like pictures. I think that's 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 great. But it's got some accompanying text with it, which I think it makes it robust. Yeah, particularly if you're in a situation where images aren't downloading, you still know what the what, what the content is. Um, and, and that's one of the issues where people go too fancy with 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 graphics if they're not supported by the email client that's uh, opening them, or indeed someone doesn't have the the bandwidth to be able to support all, all of the images. Then all that creatives kind of Gone, gone to waste, um, and people had none the wiser about what it what it contains. So um, I think, like, look like like anything um, fancy doesn't necessarily mean that it's necessarily better. And uh, this is something that is uh, sim- simplicity that obviously works.
2: Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, touch on the relevancy, um, and it, yeah, it it was certainly relevant because it was data driven. Um, it wasn't fancy. It was fairly standard block. Template, but it was functional, um, and the other thing to think of is, is, is the actual user experience of it. And, and you touched on some of their sort of more fancy content that you can put in: uh, kinetic uh, elements, for example, video in email, uh, data-driven. These are all great things, and I've, I've you know been been lucky to, to work with a well-known coffee chain who did some fantastic stuff with data-driven. Uh, content really really clever but they were able to understand totally who was receiving their emails and on what devices they knew that the majority of their customers receiving emails on an iphone they therefore knew that the content would work on an iphone their content fell down if you opened it on um something like an old installed version of outlook totally fell down didn't work um and so they had to spend a lot of money. Um, thankfully, with with us, um, having us code their email to look at what the device was that it was being opened on, um, so that was there were fallback options for those other devices. Um, and I think we have to be careful as marketers that we we don't want to go too too fancy that it falls down and generates a poor experience because people will hit on that um more so than if you send a sort of fairly uh, vanilla e- email that is well constructed and relevant um as as is the the BBC example
0: yeah, I think it's a, a really good good example that you've picked out. And I think that's where we will leave things for this episode. Thanks so much for your time and, and indeed Stafford as well. It's been a really insightful chat uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of useful uh, tips and advice for people to take away and to potentially use themselves. Um, if you are listening to the podcast, bear in mind that you can see our faces. I can't promise much if you do go over to YouTube. So Go ahead. That is definitely an option for you. If you are watching, just bear in mind, if you want to listen to us in the car or whatever, that's an option to listen to us on the podcast. Um, we'll be back with another episode next month. That'll be episode three. Until then, stay safe.